This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Hoisted Colors Podcast, another Game Week podcast here. I am your host, Stephen Igo, uh, the publisher of HoistedColors.net, also the host of this bi-weekly uh, podcast, or two times a week weekly podcast, I should say. Uh, soon to be maybe three times a week as basketball season gets here. Uh, we're going to preview ECU and Temple today. Going to be joined shortly by Jonathan Wagner, uh, intern contributor to Hoisted Colors. But before we do that, Wanted to give you guys an update. It is Wednesday afternoon as we record this, and we are running a special you don't want to miss if you are on the fence about subscribing to Hoist the Colors. If you just found the podcast recently, uh, we strongly urge you to subscribe, and if you're going to do that, there's no better time than right now. Through Thursday at midnight, we are running a 50% off special for our annual VIP membership to Hoist the Colors. Now, what does this get you? Uh, It gets you access to not only the entire uh, 24-7 sports network in terms of VIP content, so any other sites you want to read, uh, whether it be recruiting or team info. But obviously, first and foremost, if you're listening to an ECU podcast, you want to know all about the Pirates. And we cover ECU uh, more in-depth than any other outlet out there, whether it's recruiting, football, behind the scenes, uh, basketball, baseball. We obviously have a lot of free content on the site that our casual uh, fans can read for no cost. Uh, but our VIP membership, you get access to our, our exclusive message board uh, in terms of VIP posts on a daily basis uh, on the Crow's Nest, where we have a a wonderful collection of members who not only provide great insight, but uh, also great knowledge, great information on a daily basis. So you can read all those posts. I often drop all sorts of information and nuggets on the message board throughout the week leading into a game or in the off season with recruiting content. So it's not just for the articles, but it's really to be a part of this community. So again, 50% off, which is a great deal um, to the Hoist the Colors community. That's less than $5 a month on average. Of course, if you do the annual option, you pay it up front, you get it out of the way, and uh, you get it at a 50% reduced cost. And, and a lot of our members, once they subscribe, they don't want to leave once they see what we have to offer, but uh, I strongly recommend if you're into ECU sports and you want to become, you know, more of a diehard fan and continue to follow ECU because I know it's rough right now. Listen, it's a you're one and six on the season in football, but the the off season is where the progress is made, and nobody covers the off season like Hoist the Colors. Honestly, the off season coverage wise is almost more fun for me uh, because I really get to dive into hey, what prospects are ECU bringing in on the on the gridiron. Where does the program need to develop most? We get all sorts of information in the offseason. We get spring practice, hopefully, in 2021. Uh, we get preseason camp coverage. So uh, as we move forward, we'll continue to, to cover this thing more in depth than ever, and we would really like you 
to join us. Again, 50% off annual VIP membership through Thursday at midnight. So check that out, hoistthecolors.net. All right, well, let's dive into this show, the Temple Preview. We have Jonathan Wagner joining us on the podcast uh, yet again. Jonathan, welcome back into the show. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's. Uh, I wish we could be talking about some, you know, two, two, I guess, uh, better teams on paper. But you know, you have a one in five Temple team taking on a one in six uh, East Carolina team. Both teams one in five in the American Athletic Conference. But you know, I still think there's some intrigue surrounding this game. You know, it's not going to get replayed on on ESPN Sports Center. Uh, it's definitely not going to be the lead story on uh, Sirius XM Radio, ESPNU, where they talk about college football. But I think for ECU and Temple specifically, this is a big game. And, you know, we say that, and I don't think it's like a, a must-win situation, but I still think it's a, a situation where if ECU can find a way to come out victorious this weekend, there's been so much negativity lately, and rightfully so, coming off the last few games. But I think you can really change the tune of the fan base with a win this weekend. Just kind of your thoughts on, on how important this game is when, you know, the casual fan might not see it that way. But, you know, we're, we're, we're around the program. We see these coaches and talk to them every day through Zoom. Uh, but I think this is a crucial game. Right. I think you're right. Um, you know, I'm in my fourth year at ECU and I haven't experienced a winning football season yet, but. It's it, like you said, we have a one and five and a one and six team coming in. I you can't say it's a must win game, but just to kind of end the season on a better note, head into SMU game with a win, I think would be huge for the fan base. Because, like you said, there's so much negativity right now. And, like I said, it's been like that for as long as I can remember. So, I think just getting a win, showing that, you know, maybe next year they can turn that page and, just give us some hope heading into the off season, or else it might be a really long off season. Yeah, and ECU historically versus Temple has uh, it's not been good. They have not beaten Temple since 1995, and granted, they didn't play from 95 until 2014. But from 2014, every year since then, ECU has lost, and a lot of the games have been blowout losses. Last time ECU played at Temple, it was 49 to six in 2018, in Scotty Montgomery's final year. Uh, they've been very non-competitive versus Temple. That did change last year. I mean, they were pretty competitive against Temple last year inside Daddy Ficklin Stadium, but I thought they were still overmatched to a certain extent in the trenches, which which worries me again this weekend. But we'll get into maybe more of that later. But I think if you can find a way to win this game, I know Temple's down, I know South Florida's down, but I mean, just from a mental perspective, you are putting even in a down year for ECU, you have one win. You're still you're coming up with two conference wins and you're beating two teams you have historically struggled to beat. And uh, you can certainly make the argument this is the worst Temple team ECU's played in the American, especially with a four-string quarterback. But I think if you can get over that hurdle, uh, that represents progress. And I know people are going to look at the record at the end of the year and say, you know, where did ECU make progress? We have to remember there was no non-conference schedule this year for the most part. Outside of Georgia State, there was no FCS free wins. Uh, ECU had two FCS wins last year. They've had a lot of FCS wins in the past. You're, you're basically just playing a conference schedule, and you haven't won multiple conference games in multiple years. So I think if you can get two conference wins and specifically beat a team you've never beaten in the American, that's a big deal. Right, and I think we said coming into the year that it's tough to gauge this year's success based on wins and losses, just given everything that's going on. Houston's second year with the program, but – I mean, if they can get a win, like I said, it's going to help 
not just the fans, but the players and the staff heading into that SMU game. And again, the off season, there's going to be a lot of talk and I think it'll just kind of quiet things down a little bit and help things move smoothly for everyone. And I think if you get some momentum going into the SMU game, I, you know, I don't think that's an unwinnable game. Having watched SMU a few times this year, I mean, they are going to be favored probably by double digits, but I think, them coming across the country on, on Thanksgiving weekend, we talked about it earlier this year in our second half preview. I don't think that SMU is going to be like super up for that game. I mean, it's an empty stadium, cross country trip. So, but again, you know, they have to t- they have to find a way to win this weekend first to make that a uh, a possibility. I think if you go out and you lose the Temple and you lose to a four string quarterback, I don't know how much momentum you're going to have coming back home. And you don't really want to end this season on a what five game losing streak. Six game, I, I can't think of what it'll be. I guess if you finish one and eight, it'd be a six game losing streak because mm-hmm. uh, they were one and two after South Florida. So hopefully they can they can get it. I don't want to. We were talking earlier, Jonathan. I think so. People are kind of, you know, they'll watch the game on Saturday if you're an ECU fan. But I don't want to dive into this matchup like it's the Super Bowl. So we're we're gonna go straight into the questions uh, because I think people, rightfully so, they're like more worried about big picture or just specific questions at this point. I don't want to dwell on the entire Temple game. You know, we talked about kind of big picture, what it means for ECU, and I think it's important. It's the coach's job to dive into the matchups and the player's job to do that. So we'll save that uh, for a for maybe next year when ECU plays Temple. Uh, but I am worried about a few few phases of this game if you've read uh, Hoist the Colors. But we'll dive right into the questions uh, here on HTC. And our first is from Purple Hook, and this is a recruiting question. I'll, I'll handle this uh are any of our wide receiver verbal commitments seen as explosive athletes with good speed? Well, um, right now you've got three verbal commitments at receiver. You actually just had one decommitment, Toller Keegley, who decommitted after the Cincinnati game. I, te- I texted him and asked him why, and he never responded. So I-, I don't know what went into that decision. I don't know if he watched the game or what. He did tell me that once he got Power 5 interest or offers, he would consider decommitting over the summer. I don't know if that happened or what, but either way, uh, what's left, you have Theodore Lockley, who definitely fits that mold. He's six foot, 170 out of Florida, Daytona Beach area, uh, area really fast uh, slot receiver type of guy, definitely probably the most explosive kid in this class, uh, a guy that ECU will count on uh, to provide some some big playability, almost like a Josiah Hatfield, but bigger. Um He's playing quarterback now in high school, so it's kind of tough to get a gauge on his true receiving ability. There would definitely be an adjustment period, but uh, as far as vertical speed, he would be at the top of the list. You have Troy Lewis, who is a 6'3", 6'4", receiver, uh, really good size. You know, probably not the fastest guy in the world, more of a possession receiver, but he honestly is a long strider on film. He almost looks quicker than what he seems, so I think he's got decent speed. I don't think he's going to be a great game breaker there. And then Javante Sherman's the one uh, who I'm mo- most high on at receiver. You know, again, not a not a speed demon, but he's probably a four five, four six guy, um, and he can get faster as he gets stronger. But I think the thing I like most about Javante is his route running, his experience in a wide open offense. I think he can make an impact right away, though he'll need to get stronger. So I like the receiving corpse as it is, a receiving core. I, I think it's, you know, they have to continue to add some some more pieces to the offensive line and and at. Um, in the secondary, which we'll uh, we'll hit on as we go forward into the offseason. But I think there's some there's some speed there, especially with uh with Lockley. All right, uh 
Purple Hook. He's got another question. What is the path for Ryan Stubblefield to get playing time? Uh, he's asking about Stubblefield, who's a true freshman quarterback. Mason Garcia looks the part physically, but Stubblefield can actually throw it. Well, I mean, I think Mason Garcia can throw it too. He just he was inconsistent against Navy. And, Jonathan, you can speak to this too. Um, to me, I mean, it's just right now they like Garcia's upside more. But I think down the line, especially in spring practice, is when you'll see these guys really get an opportunity to kind of grow with their, their reps. What do you think about kind of the quarterback competition going forward outside of uh, Holton Aylers? Yeah, I think – I mean, you said you said the word competition, and I think that whether or not it's for the starting job or the backup job moving forward, I think we're in line to see some sort of competition, and I think we should. Um, but we've talked a lot – about the team didn't get a full off-season program in due to COVID, and I think that's going to be huge for Mason. He came in, like you said, against Navy, and he looked okay, but he hasn't gotten a lot of experience, so I think it's wrong to just write him off and say he can't throw it at the D1 level when we've seen pretty much zero sample size. When he's come in, When he came in at the end of last week in Cincinnati – he handed the ball off every time. So I personally, I think it's unfair to write Mason off. I think he's got a lot of upside. I think he's the future star quarterback of the program, but I am a fan of Stubblefield as well. I think that they both can do things in different ways. So, but like I said, I think a competition is in order. So we'll see how it shakes out. You know, you talk about arm talent. And I think uh, Garcia is number one in the program. Stubblefield's probably number two, and, uh, you know, he's kind of seen as a dual-threat guy, a little shifty, smaller kid, but uh, he can really spin it. So I think both of those guys will just really benefit from a spring practice and really getting some actual reps. I mean, right now Stubblefield's basically running the scout team, so he's not getting any offensive number one reps, whereas Garcia, he's a little ahead right now. The, the, the one thing that, you know, I do like about Stubblefield is he was in a similar offense in high school to what ECU runs. So I think he may have an advantage in terms of understanding what's going on. That's the, that's the biggest area for Mason from what I hear. He's got to continue to grow in the middle side of the game. Physically, he, he'll be fine. He, you know, he's just got to settle down. And that's why I want to see him in games more when they get the opportunity, which we could talk about at length uh, in the fourth quarter, but, uh, of these blowouts, but that's a topic for another day. We might have a question about it later. Who knows? Uh, Pat72JG, he asks, what is Demetrius Mooney's current status? So Demetrius Mooney, he uh, he was back for the last two games, I believe. He's played special teams. So he was standing on the sideline dressed out against Cincinnati. He's just not getting any carries right now, and I don't know if that stems from him being out with uh, an injury earlier this season. I think Jeff Charles said he had a foot infection, and then he also had a bout with either quarantine or COVID. So he's had all sorts of issues. It's been a tough year for Demetrius. So – I, I, it just seems like he hasn't been able to get the consistent practice reps uh, to, I guess, allow him to come in. And, and Rajay and Keaton Mitchell have been uh, have been taking those reps. But um, it's just been kind of an odd situation that he hasn't gotten a single carry all year. I know you're high on, on Demetrius, Jonathan. So what do you think just about kind of his future uh, going forward just in that running back room? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Obviously, you know, like you said, Rajay and – Keaton are going to get the majority of the carries and they've earned that. Um, they deserve that. But I mean, a few weeks ago, Keaton Mitchell 
they said was banged up. So it was pretty much Rajay, and that was it. So it's it is interesting to me how he hasn't gotten a single carry. Um, but moving forward, I mean, I think the coaching staff trust him when he can stay on the field and practice consistently. So I'm hoping that next year we can see him mixed in a little bit, you know, kind of have Rajay as your every down back and then Keaton thrown in here and there and Demetrius maybe as a change of pace type guy um, here and there, change the looks up a little bit. But yeah, I'm high on him. I mean, I think a lot of people are. So I'm hoping that he can bounce back next year. Yeah, and I'm, I'm hoping that he – it seems like he's a team guy, so he'll remain patient. But, I mean, you look at it on paper, Darius Penix, uh, it sounds like he'll be back this week. But, you know, I don't I don't know what his future is with the program at this point with two years of eligibility remaining and two young freshmen coming in. But I hope one of those guys at least stays around and doesn't leave because you need more than two running backs going forward. I mean, it, you know, I don't really expect Trace Christian to play a ton here going forward. Uh, he, he's a similar situation, been special teams guy. You know, we know Chase Hayden opted out. He's probably not coming back. So, you know, depending on what happens with Penix and Mooney, you could be pretty short in that running back room in a hurry, as crazy as that is to sound when you entered this year with six scholarship running backs. But that's just something to watch going forward. But I, I think he can contribute if he gets a full offseason and is able to come back. Um, all right, Pirate Fan 757. These are always tough questions to answer, but he says, what is the overall attitude of the team? Does Mike Houston still have this team bought into his process um you know again we're not inside the locker room Jonathan we don't know what's being said we we can barely get around these guys it's over zoom after games we don't get any other player access so you know it's hard to gauge what the locker room I guess uh personality is at this point but I, I get the vibe that there's no real locker room issues I think if there are locker room issues they are guys we're not seeing play anymore uh, like a a Tank Robinson who transferred out, who was unhappy with his playing time, a Robert Kennedy who opted out, uh, per my sources, after the Tulsa game, after getting reamed pretty hard for uh, that weak tackle attempt on the touchdown uh, by the Golden Hurricanes. So I think if you're not willing to match this coaching staff's culture and philosophy, you kind of get phased out, and those guys might be upset. But I think the rest of the team that we're seeing playing – is still bought in. Just kind of what's your gauge on that? I know it's a tough question to answer. Yeah, I would agree with you. Yesterday in our press conference, someone asked Coach Houston just kind of the same thing. He's, you know, because after the Tulsa game, Coach Houston said post game, you know, the team's kind of looking at him sideways right now. And someone asked a follow up question yesterday, and Coach Houston said that they have a positive attitude. They're moving forward. So, I think if they can stay bought in and get a win, play well this season, that, that'll be huge for the program moving forward because they're going to need everyone to be bought, bought in the rest of this year and moving into next year. Yeah, it seemed like after the, the Navy and Tulsa games, even though those were losses, those were clearly games where Mike Houston was happy with the effort on the field, uh, happy you know that they probably could have won both games. And he said you know they've changed the program. And, I don't think just because they've lost two games by wide margins in Tulane and Cincinnati that that's gone away. You know, if they go out and lose by 40 on Saturday at Temple, then I'm concerned. Uh, but right now, you know, Tulane, you look at Tulane, I mean, they kicked the crap out of Army, which was uh, ranked according to one poll last weekend. So they've now strung together 
three dominant performances. Uh, crushed Temple 38-3, beat ECU, and now crushed Army. So maybe Tulane just is a, a good team that started slow. We know Cincinnati is elite. I mean, I, yeah, it was painful to watch Friday night's game, but we have to remember Cincinnati has done this to everybody. And uh, so we, we kind of have to remember that. I, I think the, the next two games are more of a fair gauge. You know, if they go out and lose the next two games by a combined 60 points, then maybe you can make the argument that these lost the team. But I don't think that's an issue right now. Um, all right, next question. Berg Pirate coming in. He, uh, he's he got a couple questions for us. What would you do differently on offense to finish drives and score touchdowns? Um, well, I would personally – I would run Holt Naylor's more. We talk about this all the time. I mean, I think his freshman year, they utilized him as a power runner so much more um, under a different staff. And even last year, they did it some. But I just want to see more quarterback runs, not exactly zone reads, but more design draws or quarterback powers near the goal line. I also want to see the tight ends utilized more. Uh, you know, last week they tried to fade – or maybe it was too lame. They tried to fade to C.J. Johnson – and I like that call. C.J. was open and one-on-one coverage. Holton threw a nice ball, and C.J. just dropped the ball. So at some point, the players have to start executing too. Uh, but I think just getting a little more creative down there. and they, They've been decent getting down there, but not, I guess, uh, you're never going to be 100%. But just what have you seen, Jonathan, from that point of view? Anything you would try differently? Yeah, you, you said getting the tight ends more involved. I think that's something we've mentioned Every time we've gotten on here and recorded this year, yeah. But going back to your bold prediction. Oh, hey, I got one right this past week. You did, you did, you know it. Uh, Well, we won't talk about my other one from last week, but I think we mentioned Darius Penix hopefully coming back this week. I think once you get closer to the goal line and you're in there, say the red zone. I think Penix is a good blocker out of the backfield. I think he's a good pass catcher out of the backfield. So I think just getting him back will kind of give you another element, whether you're dropping back for a pass. I think that he can get in there and block a little better maybe, especially now that our offensive line is completely depleted. But I think Penix getting back in there will help. He's gotten work this year when he's been healthy in the goal line, around the goal line. Um. And I, I mention it every every week, I think, but I want to see Keaton Mitchell more involved in the pass game as well. And I think, you know, someone who's small, who's quick, shifty, kind of like Tyler Sneed in there, put him in a slot on the opposite side down there close to the end zone. It's That's going to be t- tough to cover. So just like you said, get creative, try a couple things out, experiment a little bit. Young team, I think they have to. Yeah, maybe some of these things are – maybe we would see more of them if they – had spring practice or more practice time just to kind of experiment with the stuff again the, the, so many of these young guys didn't get the chance to do this stuff over a full offseason which is where the coaches really learn where maybe something unorthodox fits better than than something normal so uh we'll continue to see that hopefully that's something that evolves more of the offseason as well uh Berg Pirate also asked do you get the sense that Noah Henderson and Peyton Winstead won't be coming back he's asking about the two injured offensive linemen um from what I understand, Peyton Winstead is definitely going to give it another go. Now, he's had three surgeries in three years, I think, and he had a pretty serious bout with COVID. So I don't know what his long-term prognosis is. He will still be a sophomore next year eligibility-wise, so it sounds like he will come back and give it a go. Uh, Noah Henderson, I don't have concrete info on, but I haven't gotten anything that leads me to believe 
that he will not return at this point. And he's dealing with a back injury, which is always worrisome for an offensive lineman who needs it to bend and all that stuff. But I'm hoping with a full offseason we get Noah back because that's a guy who should be your starting right tackle all year, and he just hasn't been there um, at this point. So, uh, Berg, that's that's all I can offer you there. He also asked, what's the long-term plan for Rick Diabreu? Will he stay at defensive tackle at 260 pounds or move to defensive end whenever Willis decides to hang up the cleats? Uh, what are the ideal weights our coaches want for each defensive line position? Well, I think Chris Willis, they want him inside at this point at three technique because he offers a lot of explosiveness at that position. If you see Chris Willis, he's got kind of like a wide body, uh, whereas like a – or did I say Willis? I mean, uh, if you see Rick Diabreu, he's got kind of a wide body. Whereas Willis is a little more lean. Uh, granted, they're around the same weight, but they feel like uh, Diabreu is going to continue to add weight and eventually be in that 270, 280 range and kind of fit that mold. So that's the plan for him. Now, if he if he goes through a full offseason, he sticks at 250, 260, then maybe he slides out the defensive end. Um but, I mean, I think they want Jason Romero, Kareem Stinson, more of those guys in the 230, 240 range to be kind of defensive end types. Just, uh, But, you know, we talk about Rick Abreu. He's been one of the real bright spots of the defense. Jonathan, what have you seen out of him and kind of his future going forward on the D-line? Yeah, he's been really good. I think the defensive line, nobody really knew who was going to be that guy that stood up, that stepped up this year. And he's done so in a big way. Moving forward, I agree with you. I think he, if he can get up to maybe that 270, 280 range, personally, that's my preference for a D tackle playing on the inside of the defensive line. I like bigger bodies in there just to kind of wreak havoc. If they try to run it inside, it's harder to do that. But I like his potential either way, I think. If he gains a little more weight and stays on the inside, I think he's going to be good there. He's been good this year at his current weight. But I think he's also talented enough to play on the defensive end. So he's a good player. He's going to be a good player for a while for us too. So I'm looking forward to see what he can do. Yeah, it just kind of depends on how his body reacts to uh, a full offseason. I mean, I think you can really go either way. I think he could, I think he's twitchy enough to play defensive end. I do think from talking with sources, they feel like he'll add enough weight to stick at D-tackle, which, you know, I think you need to be at least – 270, 275 to really hang in there and be most effective. But I mean, he's the highest-graded defensive player ECU has right now, according to Pro Football Focus. So he's still been extremely effective at 255, 260. So we'll see where they go. And I think, they, again, they like they like Romero and Stinson long-term, uh, and they also like a couple other young defensive ends. So we'll see. It is a possibility they could slide him back out because they've got a ton of young D-tackles, that's for sure. Uh, and the guys playing behind him are around 280 or so. He also asked, what are the ideal weights for the coaches want for each D-line position? I mean, on paper, you know, you'd probably want the defensive end in a 3-4, uh, which, I mean, they do four down and three down depending on the alignment. But probably, like Chris Willis is, around 250, 260, at least 240. Uh, defensive tackle, you would want that guy around 275, 280. Nose tackle, you would want around 300. And then the rush defensive end position around 240-ish. But the main thing at that position is you want somebody who can rush the passer, which ECU really just doesn't have right now at that position from what I see. Um, 
Ultraviolet. All right, he asked, uh, does the visiting team eat the cost of the extra precautions pre- required by Philadelphia's COVID policy? You have one room per player and more transportation required to get to the stadium. Uh, from what I understand, Ultraviolet, that cost is on ECU. And I'll try to double check and clarify that. But, I mean, ECU has to pay for the travel. Uh, I don't think this. I don't think the city of Philly is going to come in and pay for that. I don't think Temple is going to pay for that. Uh, maybe they have some sort of insurance policy that helps cover that. But from what I understand, that is on ECU's dime, and it speaks to the issues that uh, this entire year, COVID nineteen, twenty twenty, all of it is causing major issues, Jonathan. And ECU certainly see that from a financial perspective as well. For sure, um, it's. It's tough, you know, all these travel plans. And I know it affects the fan base too. Yeah. I've got a couple of friends that had tickets going to Temple and they were getting ready to head on up there for this weekend and found out yesterday on our board. No, <laughs> can't do that anymore. So good thing they read hoist the colors. That's right. Everyone subscribe. But yeah, it's, it's tough. But like you said, it's 2020. That's what everyone has to deal with this year. Temple knows it just about as good as anyone. So, Yeah, that's the thing. Temple has to, you know, the, the, they have to abide by the same guidelines all week. I mean, ECU's got to get up there Friday, and they can't eat together. They can't meet together according to Philly guidelines. But Temple's got to do the same stuff all week, so I don't even know how they're preparing for the game. I guess virtually. It is kind of stupid, though, that you can stand on the sidelines next to each other and go hit the opposing team, but you can't eat together prior to the game. I mean, it makes zero sense, but uh, it is 2020. I get it. They're trying to be safe. Uh, but anyways, we will move on. Matty Matt, he asked, does a win versus Temple move the needle when it comes to the casual fan and pull some of them away from the edge of the cliff? Jonathan, I'm going to send this to you first. You you have a lot of students who are friends or friends who are students that I would categorize as casual fans. Does a win versus Temple move the needle at all for those guys? I'm going to start my answer to this question by ranting a little bit. I think for everyone who's panicking and throwing a fit because we lost to Cincinnati, we all expected to get blown out by Cincinnati. Just my straightforward, honest opinion. We all knew it was coming. I, I don't get why. It seems to me, at least, everything is kind of taken – a step closer to the edge after that since that loss. But, you know, if they can win, like I said before, I think it'll help moving forward. If we head into the offseason on a six-game losing streak, it's not going to be pretty. The Every board, social media, it's going to be ugly. Um, I would like to say a win against Temple kind of moves the needle away from the cliff a little bit. But I think everyone's kind of on edge already right now. And I think a win against Temple and their fourth-string quarterback, I could also see it not making a difference and saying, oh, that was a gimme win, you know. But I have different opinions. I think that the team's in a good spot moving forward. Maybe I'm biased. Maybe I'm too optimistic. But that's what I think. But to answer the question, I'll say I sure hope so. I do too. I just feel like the casual fan doesn't care when ECU plays Temple. Like, 
does the casual fan even watch ESPN Plus when ECU plays Temple on November 21st? I mean, I feel like the casual fan doesn't even know what ESPN Plus is. Like, they probably look at ESPN Plus and they're like, what channel is that on DirecTV? Like, I, I just feel like there's a disconnect there. I guess, you know, there's like the semi-casual fan who really doesn't care at all. They just check the score and see if ECU won. And then there's more of the, I guess, aggressive casual fan who does follow the team, but is still going to be mad until ECU goes 8-3 and three or something like that. So, I don't know. I feel like this, this is a game – you know, we talked about it earlier. This is a game where the diehard fans that know how much ECU has struggled against Temple, this is a game that matters to them more. The people who really know the program uh, and the people who know that Temple's starting a four-string quarterback and that ECU is now favored because of that. So, just win. <laughs> just win. Just find a way to win, please. Uh, and I, I know the coaching staff is working hard to make it happen. We'll see what happens Saturday. A couple more questions here. Purple Hook coming back. Uh, he's got a good question. Again, another tough question to answer. What is Mike Houston's biggest obstacle to become successful in winning here again? This can mean facilities, recruiting, development, coaching philosophies. Um, I'll let you weigh on this, Jonathan. I'll start first. I mean, there's a lot of obstacles to winning at ECU. Uh, number one, he took over a program that was uh, fractured. It was fractured after Ruff McNeil was fired. And then Scotty Montgomery took that fracture and he just continued to took a take a hammer to it and eventually broke it in half. So you're taking over a program that's broken, not only from a cultural standpoint in terms of winning. And the hardest thing to do, any coach will tell you this, is, is to turn a losing culture into a winning culture, uh, which is easier said than done. But number two, the roster was just in terrible shape, specifically in the trenches. They had some skill position players left over on offense. But uh, defensively, there were all sorts of holes. Uh, they, they addressed that with the defensive line. They are addressing that with the offensive line. And I think the, the biggest obstacle for Coach Houston is getting the time and the patience from the fan base. Because, you know, I did an article earlier this week. This is the sixth straight losing season for ECU football. The fan base is tired of losing. Everybody lacks patience in 2020. But Mike Houston needs years to build this thing the right way. Is he going to get it? Probably. But is there going to be a fan base left when he's done finish, uh, finish building? And I think people come back when they, when they win. But uh, you have to remember, he's only in year two. And really, year one and a half with COVID screwed him over. And this is year six for ECU football struggling. Not all this is Mike Houston's fault. In fact, very little of it is. So I would say he just needs patience, and that's kind of the biggest roadblock. Just what do you see, Jonathan, with that question? I mean, you could, you could take this answer in a million different directions, but what do you see as a, as a student and uh, soon-to-be alumnus? Yeah, that's that's a scary thought. Um, just finished up my second-to-last semester. Yeah. But like you said, patience is important. At ECU, we're never going to be an SEC school who brings in these five-star recruits. We're never going to be that way. But I think for Coach Houston, he's going to, especially now that he's getting in, next year will be his third year, it's going to be his guys. So I think getting some of his guys back in there, develop, developing them to kind of fit the program, fit the mold, how he wants them to be, I think that's important. And that goes with patience as well. You know, they might have a big recruit who comes in and, doesn't play for a year or two, but I think 
if they can just get some get some of your own guys in here, develop them. It's going to be a process, but like you said, I think patience, development. I think if they have time to do that, then it's going to pay off in the long run. It just might not come as quickly as some people want to see. Everybody wants instant success, and I get it. You know, I'm the same way with my sports teams. Uh, you're a Redskins fan, so you've been patient for a long time. Uh, I'm a Broncos fan, so, I mean, they won a Super Bowl in 2015. So I've been patient for the last five years, and now I'm starting to get that itch. Like, when are they going to fix this thing? It's been five years. I get it. If you're an ECU fan, it's been six years. It sucks. Even if the if, even if there's a new coach, uh, the, the lack of patience is a real thing. So, But I, I do – I echo that statement. I say you have to be patient because Mike Houston's building it a certain way where it takes time. Uh, last question, JT Burn Pirate. Do you think we'll go deeper in the wide receiver room for playing time for the last few games, including this one? Other than Snead and Pro, it's been tough sledding for those guys. Would like to see some other guys get a shot at the ball. Uh, good good question. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I really there's not too much depth at receiver right now, which is why they're signing three guys at least, maybe four. So I think part of the problem is uh, what you're seeing is the best options at this point. I mean, Snead, Pro, Johnson are your top three. Omotosho, he's gotten his shot, and I think he's been a little inconsistent. I mean, he's made some great plays at times. At other times, he's continued to struggle with drops. You know, I personally would like to see more of Cam Burnett. Uh, he's made a few nice catches in his few opportunities. I think he's got a shot to be a pretty solid player. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a game-breaker, but he's a guy that I would like to see more of. And then we talked about Hatfield. Um, he finally got some snaps last week, got some opportunities, made a few plays, drew a pass interference call. So I would say Burnett and Hatfield is who I want to see more of uh, if possible. Jonathan, what do you think there? Yeah, I think to answer the question, do I think we'll go much deeper? No. Do I – want them to absolutely like you mentioned just high Hatfield a lot of the plays they've run with them have been at least from what I can remember behind the line of scrimmage not a whole lot of over the top using utilizing his speed properly so I think if they can do that maybe get some design plays with him I think that would be very beneficial I'm a fan of Cam Burnett as well and I mean I, I doubt we see him this year but I want to see Taji Hudson eventually I think using his speed across the field could be really good, but at this point I don't think he's good enough at the position to warrant playing time over our top three, four, five guys. Yeah, Taji Hudson and Tyler Savage are the two true freshmen right now working at receiver, and uh, I think both have a bright future, but they're just not ready yet to play above a C.J. Johnson. Even though C.J. has been incredibly inconsistent, and so is Omotosho, um, it's been frustrating to watch given his talent level, but there's still that chance CJ goes off this weekend and has 10 catches for 150 yards. And, and I think you have to continue to play him and he's drawn at, at least six, seven pass interference calls. So even though he doesn't have the catches, he's still making an impact on the game. He's drawn double coverage sometimes. And, uh, the, you speak about Hatfield, the one time they threw deep to Hatfield last week, he was open Ehlers under threw him, but it drew a pass interference call. So, Hopefully we do see more of that going forward uh, with Josiah Hatfield, who has some real speed. Uh, but that'll do it for our questions, and that's going to do it for our show on this uh, Temple Preview Podcast. Jonathan, man, thanks for joining us, as always, and uh, hopefully we're talking about a pirate win come, come Sunday or Saturday evening. 
yeah, I'm going to cross my fingers. Um, it would be great if they could win, but at this point, I'm just going to watch the game, see what happens, and we'll discuss whatever happens afterwards. Yeah, just just be glad we're watching the game as we sit here in 2020. I try to remind myself of that, but it's not as easy when the other team is faking a punt up 32. Uh, but uh, that is uh, th- this is 2020. We get what we take, and we uh, we try to enjoy it. And that'll do it for our show. Again, one last time as a reminder: take advantage of our 50% off. Uh, deal on hoist the colors right now that'll run through thursday at midnight we'll have another special later this month around thanksgiving but for now that is our special and that is our show we'll talk to you next time this has been the hoist the colors podcast Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. CBS season finale Sunday after the Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.